Thank you for joining us today for our weekly reading of The Talking News. Welcome to our new readers, Max, Bob, and Claire. We'll be reading local news stories from the current Belmont Citizens Herald. Belmont Light joins Hurricane Irma recovery effort. Belmont Light has sent a crew of lines workers to join in the recovery effort in Florida following the devastation of Hurricane Irma. Two first-class line workers, Tom Costello and Rob Clancy, were dispatched from Belmont to Homestead, Florida on Saturday, September the 9th, as part of a large contingent led by the Northeast Public Power Association, which represents municipal electric utilities across New England. According to Belmont Light Executive Assistant uh, Aidan Leary, Costello and Clancy are working 16 to 18 hour shifts every day. They will be there through the end of the week. After this week, the situation on the ground will be reevaluated to determine whether they are still needed. We will also be having them come back to give them a break and sending another crew down, said Leary. The Belmont Light Crew is working with municipal aid crews from across the U.S. to restore power to Florida over a two-week period. At the end of two weeks, the restoration process will be reassessed before a decision is made whether to extend the Belmont crew's work. As of September 14, 2.6 million electric customers were still without power throughout Florida, including 250,000 customers of public power systems. And now on to Claire. Solutions to make DPW Police Station Safer by Joanne K. Zuvelis. Anne Marie Mahoney, chairman of the Major Capital Projects Working Group, gave the Belmont Board of Selectmen an update at the September 18th meeting on her group's progress. The working group was tasked by the Board of Selectmen in early 2017 with forming a plan for addressing both appropriate sites and construction parameters for the Department of Public Works facility, a new police station, and a new Belmont Public Library. Our focus has been on the DPW and the police station. We at this juncture consider the needs of both those facilities to be in an emergency situation. Safety for employees and the public is our number one priority and needs to be addressed, said Mahoney. She said the working group is attempting to form short-term solutions for both the facilities and intend to come to the special town meeting November 13, asking for funding for the short-term solutions. The facilities are in appalling condition, she said. Mahoney said the working group had, has discounted the incinerator site as an appropriate location for a new police station. The land Belmont recently acquired from the state, which has been used over the years for storage as well as a transfer station. On September 28th at 7 p.m., abutters of the current DT, DPW site have been invited to a meeting at the Beach Street Center with the Major Capital Projects Working Group to review their recommendations for this 
for the DPW yard. We want import from the neighborhood before we go too far down the road, said Mahoney. A public meeting will also be held at 7 p.m. on October 19th at the Beach Street Center to see the working group's presentation on proposals for solutions to the DPW, police station, and library in anticipation of a special town meeting in November. The plan will include a proposed scope of work along with construction and funding timetables within the context of the Belmont High School building project. This meeting will give the public an opportunity to give input on the working group's recommended solutions to these major capital projects, which the town must address in the very near future. The selectmen also met with the chairman of the Library Board of Trustees, Kathy Keoen, and Vice Chairman Elaine Oligood at the September 18th meeting to discuss drafting an article for special town meeting to appoint a building committee to begin fundraising for a new Belmont Public Library. The Selectman Vice Chairman Mark Palillo made the motion to ask Interim Town Administrator Phyllis Marshall to draft a warrant article that includes appointing a building committee for the library as well as funding for a schematic design estimated to cost $300,000. And here's Max. Thanks, Claire. Weiner honored for service to the town. She worked for more than 40 years with the Belmont Recreation Department. Susan K. Weiner of Burlington has retired from the Belmont Recreation Department, BRD, after more than 40 years of service. She was recently honored at the Oakley Country Club by more than 100 former colleagues, along with parents, siblings, and friends of those with special needs. Weiner was presented with a proclamation from the town of Belmont commemorating her 40-plus years of service. Speakers at the retirement party included Mary Beth McMahon, President and CEO of Special Olympics Massachusetts, who repeatedly thanked Weiner for all she had done for people with special needs and for running such a wonderful program. And longtime sport coach and Belmont Police Lieutenant Kristen Daly commented, quote, Sue was not just a director, but also a friend, and is always there to help the coaches out, always bringing her positive attitude and smile. Unquote. Former colleague Bob Spinoza from Watertown Recreation Department, Belmont Sport Program Coordinator Heidi Barbiero, Mary Ann Miller and Jean Morrow, parents of current sport participants, also shared their words of appreciation for Weiner. Under the umbrella of BRD is Belmont Sport, special programs organized for recreational time, an all-inclusive program with activities for people with special needs. Weiner was director of Belmont Sport for more than 30 years. Weiner began her time at BRD in 1969 as a counselor in the Camp Willow Summer Program for Children with Special Needs. In 1971, she began the BRD's first school year program for individuals with special needs. Forty-five years later, the Saturday mini-camp, as it is referred to, is still flourishing. Later in the 1970s, Weiner started up the Friday Night Social Program with co-coordinator Bob Spinoza from Watertown's Recreational Department. 
By the mid-1980s, BRD had asked Weiner to take over additional programs run for people with special needs. All activities were later combined officially into the Belmont Sport Special Programs Organization for Recreational Time program with Weiner being named Director. During this same time period, Belmont Sport became a regional program for Special Olympics of Massachusetts. During the 1990s, the sport program continued to grow and athletes competing in Special Olympics traveled across the state and country and as far away as China. One of Weiner's most important responsibilities by this time was the recruitment of coaches and volunteers. Because of all her efforts, Belmont Sport is a model program at Special Olympics Massachusetts. In 1998, Weiner was inducted into the, the Massachusetts Special Olympics Hall of Fame. Weiner always looked for ways to keep fees affordable for participants and had the foresight to organize the nonprofit support organization Friends of Belmont Sport in 1989. Through their various fundraising projects, this hardworking group of friends and family members continue today to help defray costs related to the sport program. At the retirement party honoring Weiner, parent and sports, uh, Friends of Belmont Sport board member Jean Morrow sp spoke about what, what Weiner has meant to the families and parents of the participants. Quote, in 1998, Belmont Sport launched the first of its annual family summer trips. In addition to all her other talents, Sue definitely demonstrated that she has the makings to be a first-class travel agent. The trip to Hershey Park, Pennsylvania in 1988 was the first of now 20 unforgettable, jam-packed adventures. Unless you're a parent or a family member, it's almost impossible to explain how it feels to be able to travel in a group where everyone understands your challenges and accepts your family members for who they are. There is no way to express our appreciation to Sue for creating these priceless experiences, said Morrow. Over to you, Bob. Thanks, Max. Belmont Restoration Project Seeking Volunteers. Volunteers are needed to assist with the work for Restoration Project, a nonprofit recently relocated from Concord and Acton to Belmont. Restoration Project is a nonprofit vocational program in Belmont for individuals with mental illnesses and brain injuries. Participants learn the crafts of furniture finishing and upholstering and work in the organization thrift shop to improve uh, confidence and transferable work skills. When they're ready to work independently, the nonprofit's job developer helps them choose and find employment. Volunteers are currently needed for sorting donations, pricing, stocking new items on the floor, carrying furniture, loading and unloading the van, cleaning, wrapping, customers' purchases, and communicating Restoration Project's mission to customers. In addition, volunteers are needed who are willing and able to drive a cargo van, developing and picking up furniture. Store hours are 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday and noon to 6 p.m. on Sunday. The group hopes to expand its hours so volunteers with retail experience who can run the store are needed on Mondays and Tuesdays with four and eight hour shifts. Anyone with a mental illness or brain injury in their family are welcome to volunteer together. 
restoration project recently moved to Belmont and opened a thrift store. The store has added a new retail component to its job training services in an effort to get the store going. Furniture finishing and upholstery are not being done for the public at this time. But the nonprofit plan to resume accepting projects in the near future. The store sells donated new and gently used home furnishings and household items, clothing and fashion accessories, music and books. And now on to Claire. Liquor license changes approved. Retail holders will now have option to apply to sell lottery tickets by Joanne K. Zuvelis. The Board of Selectmen unanimously approved revisions to the town's liquor license regulations at its September 18th meeting. One of the major revisions to the alcohol beverages policy rules and regulations is that a licensed retail establishment may sell state lottery tickets if approved to do so by the Board of Selectmen and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Selectman Adam Dash worked on the revisions which Town Council approved. This change will bring Belmont into conformity with other communities which do not ban retail liquor license holders from selling lottery tickets and will support the state lottery revenues on which Belmont relies in its budget, he said in an interview after the meeting. Star Market acquired its all-alcohol liquor license on October 6, 2016, when the selectmen approved the transfer of the license from the loading dock to Star Market, 2 to 1, with selectman Mark Paolillo opposed. At the time, Star Market agreed to give up tobacco and lottery ticket sales. Selectman Chairman Jim Williams wanted to make a motion to approve Star Market and the Spirited Gourmet to sell lottery tickets at the September 18th meeting. He asked Interim Town Administrator Phyllis Marshall to notify all the liquor license holders in Belmont that they have the option to seek the board's approval to sell lottery tickets if approved by the state. The Massachusetts State Lottery Commission approached selectmen in April, asking them to rethink their prohibition on allowing retail establishments with liquor licenses, such as Star Market, to also sell lottery tickets, noting sales have gone down considerably since they stopped selling them. A moratorium was placed on allowing retail establishments holding liquor licenses to also sell lottery tickets when the original all-alcohol license was granted to the loading dock on May 1st, 2014. On March 16th, 2015, the selectmen denied an application from Jimmy's Food Mart for a liquor license with one of the reasons being the store did not want to give up lottery ticket sales. Jimmy's Food Mart closed its doors permanently following a fire on April 18, 2015, one month after its liquor license application was denied. Okay, here's Max. Thank you, Claire. 
Mid-Century Furniture Gallery opens soon. The Mod 20 Gallery, located at 4 Trapello Road, will open September 2020th by Joanna K. Tsuvakis. There's a new shopping destination in Belmont for buyers of mid-century furniture. It's Mod 20 Gallery, located at 4 Trapello Road in Belmont. Developer Chris Starr, managing partner of Smith Legacy Partners, which owns the building, is the man behind Mod 20. He has been collecting mid-century mid furniture since 2001 and has wanted to open his own store for the past decade. Quote, I now have more time on my hands and can get involved and fund projects that excite and interest me, unquote, he said. Watertown resident Katie Rowley is Mod 20's gallery manager and Belmont resident Thomasina Olson is its business manager. Rowley used to work for Machine Age, a well-known mid-century furniture store in Boston. She has loved collecting mid-century furniture since she was in high school. Starr and Rowley are very knowledgeable about the designers of every piece they carry and take pride in the quality and workmanship of their collection. For people who aren't familiar with mid-century furniture, it is furniture made between the 1930s and 1970s. Rowley said the pieces are built to last, made for living, and have stood the test of time. Everything in their inventory will have one thing in common, an interesting, eclectic design to them. They are timeless, said Rowley. Starr said Mod 20 will have one of the biggest collections of inventories for unique, one-of-a-kind pieces of mid-century furniture in the area, such as tables, sideboards, chests, couches, chairs, lighting, and more. Every piece will be posted on the website mod20.com. That's M-O-D-2-0.com. He recently returned from a shopping trip in Denmark, which he said is the hub of mid-century designer furniture. If someone wants to see the furniture on the website, which is not in the store, was Star said, they will have a warehouse very close to the store and can show pieces by appointment. In addition to furniture sales, Mod 20 will also consign mid-century furniture. Reupholstery and interior decorating service will also be offered. Mod 20 will also ship pieces anywhere nationally and internationally. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Heat up with the old flame. Learn about fireplaces, inserts, stoves, and fire pits by Mary Rines. Trying to stay toasty as the temperatures drop? Wood stoves and fireplace inserts might seem indulgent, but they're actually cost-effective and super cozy. According to Bruce Kelty, owner of Commonwealth Fireplace in Nor Norwood. Fireplace inserts, which are stoves installed seamlessly into open fireplaces, are great for zone heating because their warmth is distributed to a smaller area for a longer amount of time, making the heating process more satisfying and less expensive. He said people who use inserts often save money. They're heating the space that they spend the majority of their time in with what is essentially a smaller furnace, Kelty said. Wood stoves and gas stoves are also efficient zone heating systems. They can be installed with vents going up through the roof or through a chimney going up the side of the house. 
for those who don't want to reconfigure their heating system, an outdoor fire pit is an easy, inexpensive way to enjoy a wood-burning fire and entertain in the backyard in cooler weather. Don't forget to bring the marshmallows. Learn about fireplace inserts, wood stoves, and fire pits below. <coughs> fireplace inserts. According to Kelty, a fireplace insert will increase the heat efficiency of a fireplace from 10 to 20% to 60 to 80%. It dramatically increases the efficiency of the wood that you're burning, he said. And they still get the nice ambiance of the wood-burning fire. He explained that inserts can use one of three types of heat sources, wood, pellets, and gas. Learn more about each one below. With wood, wood-burning inserts have a pleasant ambiance and have higher burn times than a bare fireplace. The fire is contained behind glass and the insert has an air wash system to prevent smudging so owners can easily enjoy the fire view as the heat is distributed. Cost about $2,000 to $3,000 for the insert plus $1,000 to $1,500 for the installation plus the cost of wood, which is about $225 per cord. With pellets, pellets are made from essential wood byproducts, so they are packed with energy, but they do require electricity, according to Kelty. Their flame is more blowtorchy than a wood-burning fire, but they are a dependable fuel source for a primary heating system. Cost $2,500, to $4,500 for the insert plus $1,000 to $1,500 for installation plus the cord of wood pellets which is about $250 per ton. With gas, a gas insert is remarkably efficient. It is a direct vent system which means that it brings combustion air through the chimney and then vents the exhaust back out creating a totally closed system. Unlike wood and pellets, gas doesn't need to be constantly loaded into the insert and it doesn't need to be cleaned on a regular basis. Gas inserts also have a lot of decorative options, including logs, rocks, glass, or driftwood, and they can run with a remote control or a thermostat. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Help firefighters fill the boot. On October 5, Belmont firefighters will be out on the streets of Belmont asking motorists to help fill the boot to help support the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Every dollar that a passing motorist can pitch into the firefighters' boot will assist Local 1637 in raising funds to support local children and adults with neuromuscular diseases through medical treatments and support services. The annual drive will take place from 7 to 10 a.m. Firefighters and volunteers will be at three locations. Those locations are Belmont Center, Waverly Square, and at the intersection of Cross and Brighton Streets. Donations can be made in cash or by check. Make checks payable to Belmont Firefighters for MDA. 
The International Association of Firefighters has been a national MDA partner for more than 50 years and remains committed to the fight to end neuromuscular diseases. The Fill the Boot funds also are used to support some of the 300 worldwide pro uh, research projects seeking to better treatments and working towards a cure for the more than 40 neuromuscular diseases covered by MDA, including Duchenne muscular dystrophy, spinal muscular atrophy, and ALS. Over to Max. Thanks, Claire. Davis convinces KKK members to leave. Belmont Native has attended Klan rallies, cross burnings, and even invited, been invited to homes of prominent Klan leaders by Adam Sennett. Daryl Davis said he can still remember people throwing bottles and rocks at him as he marched with the Cub Scouts from Lexington to Concord in 1968. It was the first time the then 10-year-old Belmont resident and only black kid marching that day had experienced racism. A month later, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated, and Davis began to ask, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? That was the beginning of my journey, Davis said. While Davis only lived in Belmont for less than a year, he said he has spent the past 49 years seeking the answer to that question. In 1990, he began reaching out to members of the Ku Klux Klan to talk to them for his eventual book, Clandestine Relationships, A Black Man's Odyssey in the Ku Klux Klan. He has attended Klan rallies, cross burnings, and has even been invited to the homes of prominent Klan leaders. He has since formed friendships with hundreds of members of the Klan and said he has convinced between 40 and 60 members to turn their backs on the organization. Through the course of my meetings with many of these people and sitting down and talking with them, some of them came to realize they had more in common with me than they did in contrast, David said, and they ended up leaving the Klan. Davis said that some of his former Klan friends have given him their robes and hoods once they leave. I own a lot of robes and hoods from different clan, different clan of people who I have come, come, who I've come to know just through talking, Davis said. He said he someday hopes to open a museum to display the robes and other clan paraphernalia he has acquired over the years. It's part of American history, Davis said. We should always face our history, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the shameful. Belmont played key role. Davis's ability to maintain composure in the face of overt racism can be traced back to the brief period he lived in Belmont. He says he remembers playing kickball with his friends at a playground after his ill-fated march with the Boy Scouts. During the game, a little girl began shouting a racial slur at him and wouldn't stop. That was the first time I'd ever been called an N-word, Davis said. Davis said his parents had told him not to let people get under his skin and to just ignore anyone who referred to him using that word. Davis said the girl eventually walked right up behind him and continued shouting racial epithets at him. I spun around and I tried to get her, Davis said, and she took off running like a bat out of hell. Davis said several of his friends cornered the girl and brought her back to the playground to make her apologize to him. 
These are 10 and 11 year olds who made her say she was sorry to me, Davis said. Back to you, Bob. Thanks to my colleagues, Max and Claire. We hope you enjoyed our reading today. Please join us when we return next week for another edition of Talking News.